Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of For the Love of Money. Now, this episode is awesome because I'm sitting down with Candy Nelson, Volunteer CEO. That's what she's known as, Volunteer CEO. Now, at just 19 years old, Candy started her first business right out of high school, and get this, turned it into a seven-figure success story. Then she went on to open several other businesses and then leveraged all of that success to start a massive animal rescue foundation that benefits both animals and children. We talk about the moment at age 15 that confirmed her gut feeling, her intuition that she was not destined to stay poor despite growing up in an economically challenged family. She also goes on to give some very powerful lessons and evidence about following your intuition and that it's there for a reason. And then we go on to discuss what a volunteer CEO is and how she's selflessly become one in order to improve so many lives. You're going to love the lessons. You're going to love the stories. You're going to love everything that Candy has to offer. So sit down, get ready, because this is epic. Okay, Candy, thank you so much for being on, and I love the way that we connected. Oh my gosh, thank you so, so much for having me on, Chris. I, it's such an honor to be here. So for those of you that don't know, well, I guess nobody knows the story, um, Candy reached out to me and said, you know, hey, I've got a, a pretty interesting story here, and I would love to tell it on your podcast, if at all possible, and, and we chatted a little bit, and her story is everything that this podcast is about and represents. And so I am so excited to dive in and to give everybody like your background and what you did and how you did it and all that stuff. So you ready to roll? I am. Thank you. Yes. Perfect. So um, you actually have a really interesting backstory about how you grew up. And of course, how you grew up kind of forms who you are today. So could you share some of that backstory with us so that we can really get to know you before you were so successful? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go, gosh, we'll go way back, right? We'll kind of start at the beginning because like you said, it's what shapes us and makes us who we are today. So um, very, very small town, grew up in a very small town, uh, about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. I had two teenage parents. Um, I'm an only child and uh, my mom was 16 and my dad was 19. If you can imagine trying to figure wow. out how to have a kid at that age, right? <laughs> We're all just trying to learn how to drive and they had to process how to have a child and get married and all of that craziness. And so um, we grew up obviously super poor. Uh, neither one of them graduated high school. And uh, my dad was a mechanic by trade. And my mom obviously was 16, so she didn't even have her first job yet. And so we lived in a small trailer in a small little town and um, grew up, you know, pretty poor, was exposed to um, ab abuse as a child. And then as I got a little older, um, my parents wanted to put me into a religious school, thinking that that would help shape and guide my path so that maybe I didn't make 
same and similar mistakes as they made. This is to their words. And so we uh, uh, attended this small little school, I believe, with the best intention and unfortunately was not the best situation. Wasn't a, a normal school environment. Um, classroom sizes, just to kind of get perspective. Some, ha- some had two people, some had six people. Um, and we were all kind of just thrown together in this one schoolhouse, if you will. Um, yeah, so super crazy, right? But, um, there was something that was just this longing in my soul would probably be the best way to describe it. Now, back then I had no idea what to call it. And I believe I had this angel via a 3 a.m. infomercial come into my living room one day when I was 15. And for the first time ever in my life, I heard this man larger than life. And I believe he was like sitting on the edge of this pool in this beautiful house. And he was talking about, you know, that we are not a product of our circumstances and we can change our life in an instant and anything that we want in life we can have. And I was like, wow, that sounds so different than everything I've heard in my life to this point, right? It was more about what we didn't have and what we couldn't have. And, but something really resonated. And I know you uh, and Lori are big fans of Tony Robbins. And that was my uh, 3 a.m. messenger. (laughs) So uh, at 15, I had some babysitting money saved up and did what I needed to do to buy those cassette tapes, which the younger audience that's listening probably doesn't know what those are. (laughs) But uh, they were cassette tapes. And um, I got them and brought them home and sat in my room and listened to them every day and made my first set of goals when I was 15 in the cafeteria of that little school. And uh, by the time I was, let's see, 19, I was starting my first business. And uh, it was kind of crazy because I would have never thought that would have been my path um, coming from what I came from, but started a business at 19 and grew that business just through consistent, you know, improvement and growth. Um, By the time I was 23, I had achieved every one of those goals that I wrote on that paper. Um, And uh, it was things, you know, like six figure incomes and a certain kind of car and all the things that you think are important when you're 15. (laughs) And uh, then uh, by the time I was 26, I was starting the nonprofit that you and I spoke about. Um, and, you know, there's a kind of a crazy story in, in how all of that happened as well. We are going to get to like way deeper on all these stories because I'm still back at 15 years old where you grew up, in your words, very poor and even exposed to abuse. And then you go to this small religious school. So like everything about that doesn't necessarily say, hey, go out and accomplish big dreams. And, and you acknowledge that. And by this 3 a.m. you know, chance circumstance that you see Tony Robbins on your TV at 15 years old, you decide to buy his, at the time, cassette tapes, his program. I can't right. think yeah. of hardly any other 15-year-olds that would spend their money on, you know, these self-improvement or, or go-find-your-life type of programs. Yeah, I, and I honestly have no no reason to tell you why. Um, I, I just, it resonated with me. And the funniest thing was you needed a credit card to order. And at 15, I didn't have one. So I asked my dad, I said, Dad, can I borrow your credit card? I saw this guy on TV and I really want to, you know, buy these tapes. And here's the money, but I need a credit card. And his response to me was, the only person you're going to make rich is that guy on TV. And um um, thankfully, um, I'm pretty resourceful still to this day. We were at uh, Sears back then, and I snatched a credit card application for Discover. 
and filled it out with all my information, but I lied about my income and sent it in. And can you believe they sent, obviously it's totally different than it is today, right? Sorry, Discover, but they sent a credit card to me in the mail and it came in the mail and my mom walked it back to my room and was like, here's that credit card. (laughs) It was the funniest thing. And so I picked up that phone dialed that number and got the got the uh, tapes sent oh to me with my own credit card. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's one thing to be like in the moment 3 a.m. And, and make the purchase right there. You didn't just make a emotional purchase. You sat on this. You asked the dad, your dad for a credit card. You said, no, you're only going to make Tony rich. You went and fraudulently, I say that in a joking way, <laughs> filled yes, out a credit know, card application, actually got approved, and then used that credit card how many days later? Is this a week? Is this a month? Oh, the second it came. The second it came, I had all the information down and I just immediately called and, and ordered it. But how long is this from the time you saw Tony on TV to the time you got the car? Oh, maybe two weeks tops. Oh, I mean, come on. 15 years old, nobody would even make this purchase, much less be that determined at 15. So I got to ask you, what was it intrinsically inside of you that made you so different as a 15-year-old that you'd not only get this idea, but follow through on it? I always thought... I always had this gut instinct that everything that I was hearing was wrong and I had nothing to go off of that. But I just, at a very young age, I, I, with some of the things that I experienced, I really had to look internally and listen to that inner voice to get through things. And so I, I just, every time I would hear like, you shouldn't do this, you know, and you know, you have to wear this and you, you know, for 18 or I'm sorry, 12 years of my life, I had to wear skirts to school every day, a certain length and a certain color and, you know, all this craziness. And I just kept thinking, I don't, I don't know that, that that's the way life should be. I, I don't think that a God of love has all these rules and want us to live in such, you know, desperate, distraught um, times all the time. And so I just kind of, it just didn't sit with, within myself is probably the best way to describe it. I don't think that there was anything special or unique about me. I just questioned. And anytime I had that question, I just wanted to see what else I could find, see what else I could prove and just explore a little bit more and be open minded to other people's ideas and thoughts. You know, it's really remarkable. You know, you followed your intuition, which is sometimes, you know, this invisible thing. Why do I feel this way? I have no evidence. But you followed your intuition at age 15. And, and that's a great lesson for everybody out there, that whether you're 15 or 50, doesn't matter. Your intuition it, exists for a reason, doesn't it? It does. And I can't tell you. And as we probably talk more, I'm going to, you know, there are so many things that, that are in my life now that I can tell you are not because of me. I, I'm not that smart. I'm not that good. I'm not that connected. But yet there are things that occurred in my life just because I allowed myself to be led and I listened to that inner voice. And we all have it. I just think that we're all so suppressed to, to ignore it and to just go with the flow and be just like everybody else. And that's not what we're called to be. It's not who we're called to be. Totally agree. So now kind of help me through the next step from age 15 to 19 when you finally opened your business. How did Tony's tapes turn you into this you know, budding businesswoman? Yeah. So obviously, like I said, first goals at 15 and I had no idea. And I think maybe that's where ignorance is bliss, right? I had I had no idea how to get there. I just knew um, the job I want, I still remember it. I said, whatever job it is, I'm going to be making six figures. I'm going to be driving a BMW or a Mercedes. And I'm going to have a job with a briefcase and my nameplate on the door. Mm-hmm. That was it. It wasn't like I'm going to you know, have this business, buy this. It was just a vision. It was just a, 
um, something that I could see and feel and walk into. And that was it. And I basically reverse engineered it from there. And how that came about as far as 19, again, wasn't something like I'm going to go start this specific business. I actually was going to be a criminology major. Um, I had a scholarship for Ohio State University, but my parents um, kind of thought it was too far away. <laughs> and even though Pennsylvania, Ohio, for those that know the, uh, the Northeast, it's not that far. But it, was, it, it seemed so big to them, you know, for me to go away to school. So it wasn't something that was encouraged. Um, and so I did pursue that path for a very short period of time and was just surrounded by so many people that really weren't there for maybe what I thought were the right reasons. I really wanted to make a difference, make money, get out of the circumstances that I was in. And I was really driven to do that. Um, so my dad said to me, well, you got to figure out something, you know, you can't, you can't just sit around, which I wasn't, I was working at the time, but he, you know, meant you got to figure out really what you want to do with your life. <laughs> And he said to me, he goes, you know, there's this lot in the small little town that he had a, a garage in. And he said, there's a lot that came available. Maybe you'd want to do something for it or do something with it. And I was like, well, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'd, you know, do a salon or, but then I wanted to be bigger. And I remember being in New York City and seeing these massive salons that had these spa services and all these other things connected in there. I said, well, if I'm going to do something, it's going to be big. And I want to do one of those spas like I see in New York City. And everyone was like, oh, that's never going to work. You know, this is rural Pennsylvania. It's completely different. And that was it. I was either going to do that or nothing at all. So I stepped foot. I got a small business loan at a local college for women entrepreneurs and opened the doors. Yeah, I know. Can you believe that? They believed in me at 19 and we were able to have our grand opening um, I believe it was just two months after I turned 20. I can't believe it. So here you are in a very small town, right? A small town? Very small. And like there 2, was 2,000 people at the time. And there's never this, this fancy spa. I mean, people in town, they, they didn't already go to these things or anything like that, right? They did not. There, there was none in our area. Okay, <laughs> and, and you kind of got the bug because you saw them in New York and it looked glamorous. Am, am I right? Exactly. Yep, exactly. Okay, so here's my question. How scary was it then to start a first of its kind business in your area? In other words, did you just know it was going to work or was this just thrown against the wall because it seemed like a cool thing to do? I knew it was going to work. I don't know. Somewhere in me, inside me, I knew that it was going to work if I worked hard enough. I had enough leverage. My leverage, if you, right? I mean, that's what Tony talks about. The leverage is so huge. You, it'll pull you. It'll propel you towards that. I really stepped out and it was scary. Don't get me wrong. I mean, in order to finish the building, uh, my dad graciously signed his house as collateral for me to finish the building because the small business loan was only enough to actually do the build out and for equipment. Talk about leverage, right? Your dad's house, even though it was a, a small, modest house, it was still his house. Yeah, it's a lot of and pressure. so that was massive. That was massive. I was going to perform and there was no question about it. So um, I really knew, I just knew, and believe me, there was, I say that now, but sure, there were moments of doubts and insecurities and can I really do this? But then there was still something internal that says, yes, you can. And yes, you will. And it was listening to that voice instead of tuning it out and listening to the noise. And I had a lot of noise um, because there were so many people that said it couldn't be done, but I just used that as fuel to just push it harder. So did it take off right away? Kind of paint the picture from business no. loan to open doors. 
gosh, biz year one, you make nothing. I think I cleared like $2,000 <laughs> working the whole year. Year two, it wasn't much better. I don't think I hit five digits until like our third year, right? I mean, it was, it's a grind. Anyone that starts a, a brick and mortar business, it's normally, you know, it's, it's a grind in the beginning. Um, but by about year three, I kind of like, I kind of have this figured out. Now, meanwhile, I was probably only legal to drink for about the last 18 <laughs> months. <laughs> but, you know, by year three, I'm kind of like, I got this figured out. Like, you just treat people really well and appreciate people and be grateful for their for them coming in as a customer. And I felt that that was really lost in the customer service business um, and in the service-based business. You know, just treat people well, treat your team well, take care of people. Um, and, and things work out. You know, mm. when you do what's right, things tend to work out. So that was kind of my... Um, business 101 model is okay. Well, what's right in this decision, or how would I want someone to treat me in this instance? And that's kind of what I went with. Uh, by the time we hit year five, seven, um, we were cooking, we were rolling, um, we did really well. And then for really the past ten years um, of that business, you know, we've been basically breaking all of our own records. Um, and it's just really because we have an amazing team and we have an amazing group of clients and supporters that really have just been so loyal to us. And we're so, so grateful over the years. That's amazing. Now this business still exists today, but you don't run it, right? Correct. I have an op operations manager in place. Um, I still have an office there, uh, and I go into, but, uh, I have a great team in place that really handle all of that so that I can do some other things. So we have all sorts of people that, you know, this is their dream. They want to start some kind of brick and mortar business that they're passionate about, get it up and running, make it wildly profitable, bring it to, you know, seven figures and more, and then have someone else run it. That's, that's the American dream. I'm guessing, and you already painted the picture a little bit. I'm guessing you had some really big growing pains. Can you share one of the biggest growing pains with us and, and how you navigated around it? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great insight. It really is everyone's dream to do that. And I think what happens is people get up against a wall. Like, for example, you know, you have a great team in place uh, in the service based business. You have a lot of investment on your team. Um, if they're providing services, whether it's accountants or lawyers or in our world, the spa world, and then all of a sudden something happens and that person wants to go out on their own and you lose some of your customer base. That's that's that could be very damaging to a lot of businesses, depending on how their, how the organization is structured. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a growing pain. That was a learning experience to be like, wow, I've invested so much of my time, my resources and our money into building this individual. And then they want to go out and do it on their own, which I obviously support as an entrepreneur, but it was also very painful on the business side of things, if that makes sense. Um, so there was, there was that sort of thing. The other growing pains is constantly capital. You know, when you want to grow and build, you constantly need capital. Um, but, but those are all problems that are solvable if you just stay in and do the work. And I think a lot of people are so fearful by 10 steps ahead that they never start. So if I can tell the people listening, if you, if you have a passion or you have a drive to start a business, you just have to start. If you never start, you're never going to get there. And when those growing pains come up or those challenges come up, you just redirect, you know, you, you just, you basically just go down another path and see what works. But if you don't start, you will never get there. And I think a lot of people fail because they never actually get off. They never get off the tee box. So in other words, they're not present, right? And we always hear about in life, be present, don't live in the future, don't live in the past. But you just said something that's I haven't heard before. That also applies in business. The problem is if you're living in the future, all the things that could go wrong, 10 steps on the road, like you said, 
then that's going to stop you in your tracks. And quite honestly, you're just fabricating these potential things that might happen in the future. Exactly. And it's a time site. It, it drains your energy. It drains your time. And it might never happen. Like you might worry about, oh, what if I, you know, start a service-based business and it happens exactly what Chris and Candy are talking about and someone leaves me. But it might never happen. So why worry about it? All you can do is focus on today, right now, and doing your very best right now and start. And once you take that first step, that second step, that third step, your path gets clearer and you become, you have more experience and more talent to navigate those dips and those paths that kind of just go off course. And it's a redirect. It's a total redirect. I, I spoke with someone, I mentioned to you, I was in a mastermind and there is a gentleman in there that, and it, to me, this was just mind blowing that he chartered the Rover that took pictures of Pluto and it takes 12, I hope I'm not messing this, the facts up, but I believe it takes 12 years for that whole navigation to come around. And it is a constant redirect and adjustment, redirect and an adjustment. And if they worried about how they were going to get the Pluto, they would have never started. But what they wanted to do was just get it out of the atmosphere and then readjust and then get it to Mars and readjust and, you know, get it further and readjust however that they were going to do it. So to me, that's, it's just so brilliant to explain business where you got to start and then you redirect as you go. You know, what's amazing is everything that you just talked about in the last five minutes, that alone, people will finally take that first step or they will finally stop letting fear hold them back or they will finally stop fabricating what might happen in the future. I, I feel like that alone, you just unlocked so many brand new businesses that are going to start. Mm, thank you. And, and, and really, I, if I can encourage people to do it, just do it. You never know. If somebody would have told me as I was standing on a hill just not that long ago overlooking the expansive sanctuary that we started, which I know we'll get into, that, that I was going to be through all of that to be able to give back on such a massive level, I would have never believed them because my, my viewpoint, my vantage point was only from the inside of a little white trailer in a very small town. So you never know what you can accomplish and what you can contribute if you don't start. Wow. I love that. Okay. So before we put a bow on this, why don't you tell us how big did this business get? Like this was the first thing that made you quote wealthy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was working wealthy. I call it, you know, it, it wasn't one of those where I just made a bunch of money and then stepped back and didn't do anything. This business obviously grew to, you know, seven figures. And then at the same time I was investing in real estate, which also gave a nice bow on the top of everything. Um, investing in real estate, which is also how, um, I started the nonprofit, but, um, yeah, so the real estate, it, this business being successful also opened other doors. But again, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't just start down the one path it opened other doors to allow me to invest in other businesses, do other things, um, doing a product-based company, um, all, all sorts of things. I actually got into jewelry manufacturing overseas, which was super fun. So I've been able to do a lot of these different ventures, um, you know, because I love the creation aspect of business. So I've been able to do a lot of different ventures because of having that first successful thing. I love that. So you've created this Candy Nelson empire, so to speak, and <laughs> you didn't want to stay in operations with the initial business and, and a lot of the other ones. I know that you're not quite in the operations of those businesses. You're more acting as a CEO or maybe a board member. Tell me about when you decided you wanted to walk away and follow a bigger calling. 
So I was probably about uh, 25 at the time, and I was buying and selling some businesses. I was doing my first couple flips in real estate um, and doing a little bit of commercial real estate investing. And I was purchasing, purchasing a couple business again in that small, that small town. And I bought this building and I was, it was the one building I didn't do anything with yet. I'm like, what am I going to do with that building? And it literally sat there for almost a a year and I'm driving by it one day home from work. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that building? You know, at the time I had a lot of people coming to me wanting to grow the business, opening additional locations in other areas. Um, I had four different locations kind of selected over time that, you know, this would be great. We would rock it here. We would kick butt in this area. And something, again, internally just kept saying, eh, I know you can do it. And you're going to take, you know, your business from here to here and, and you know, possibly be at that eight to ten number. But um, it's just not it's just not right. It's just not where you need to be. And I kept thinking, why? Why is this not where I need to be? Isn't this what I should be doing? I should be constantly growing and investing and and expanding this. And I, but I just kept listening to that voice. And I asked myself many, many years ago, I wrote this question down and it has served me so well over the years. I said, does this decision take me closer to or further away to my mission and purpose in life? Mm. And if the answer is no, as hard as it is, or as financially beneficial as it will be, I have learned to say no, because when I don't, there's an epic fail (laughs) ahead of me because I know it's not the path I should be going down. So I had this bit, this building sitting there and I've already said no to all this other opportunity and I'm driving by it. And it was as audible as you and I are talking, Chris, it was like a voice came up in the back of my Escalade and said into my ear, put your animal shelter there. And I remember hearing it and remember thinking, it was, it just, it hit like a lightning bolt. And I was, I was energized, vitalized. I walked into the door and I was like, that's it. I'm putting my animal shelter here. And it was like the universe conspired. I know it sounds so dramatic, but it's the universe literally conspired around me to make that happen. And from that decision, I called on people that I had supported in the business, people that were vendors for our business and called on them to say, Hey, I'm doing this nonprofit. I don't know what I'm doing, but you've been my attorney for 10 years. Will you help me do this 501c3? Hey, you did a, you know, $40,000 concrete job. Will you do the concrete work in this building? And people stepped up, came out and supported this cause and mission in a way that I would have never in a million years have dreamt. All mostly through donation, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. In the beginning, we, we rehabbed and created that facility to house dogs, cats, and rabbits 100% by donated labor. And a large, large portion of that came from materials from all of our local stores in the area. So we had to pay for some materials, but I on, on like the whole grand scale, 80% of it was donated. So I just really want to paint the picture for people. You had an extra building because you first generated success and then wealth. And that extra building is what now houses this. You had these contacts that came through very big for you because you first created success and wealth and did well by them. I mean, without you first creating success, then this huge movement that became this big giving moment, and we're going to talk more about that, it wouldn't exist without you first being successful. Is that right? Absolutely. I I could have never 
you know, when, when you're in a place of survival and you're in a place of lack, you really can't get outside of yourself, right? Because you're thinking about how am I going to pay for the rent? How am I going to make this car payment? When you're in a place of abundance and you're in a position to contribute and you have a building laying around that's paid for that you can just give to an organization, a nonprofit and gift them in order to have the rest of it, um, you know, come to fruition. That's, that's only going to come from if you already first have the success. You know, I, I look back when I was young, I was, and this was probably 16. I remember making like $75 in a paycheck, right? Your first job. Like, and I remember donating $10 to this save the wildlife fund every, (laughs) every month, save the wildlife and save the ostriches. I think were the two that I did back then. And you know, that was $10, but I, but I gave it. And I know a lot of amazing people that do that. But when you make 75, you can give 10. When you make 750, you can give 100. When you make 750,000, you can make 100,000 and so on. So the amount that you're able to contribute and give and grow impact with becomes just, it's just such a huge, huge scale. Because like we've talked, and I know I've heard a lot of people say, um, you know, money is just going to simply amplify who you are. If you are a good person, you are going to do amazing things with it. And if you were a jerk before, you're just going to be a bigger jerk. That's really all it is. But having that ability to contribute is truly the only way that we were able to start um, the, the shelter and sanctuary. God, I love how you just illustrated that. That's the entire point of this podcast is that when good people make good money, they can then do great things. And that's exactly what you did. It's what the attorney who helped you did. It's what the, the concrete helped you do. Like all of those are good people that had yes. done well enough where they could then donate the supplies, their time, their expertise, etc. I absolutely love it. Absolutely. Yes. So tell, absolutely. tell us more about this sanctuary that you have, right? Is it called Animal Friends Sanctuary? Yeah. Yeah. So for, um, so 10 years ago, basically was Animal Friends of Westmoreland. We started with just companion animals out of that location um, and really have to date... Let's see, we've rescued, rehabilitated, and rehomed over 3,000 animals since we started, um, which is really awesome. 3,000 lives saved and already rehomed into forever homes, as we call them. And then I really had a heart and a mission to grow this larger and to be able to help more animals and more species of animals and also to give to a different type of nonprofit work and a different type of mission to help kids that were like me, kids that were um, in abusive situations and homes, um, whether it's physically, sexually, and kids that have maybe been neglected or kids that have been in the foster system, be able to help those kids heal, provide hope so that they know that there is a bigger world out there and that they do not have to be a product of their circumstances and they can end the abuse cycle and they can change their lives and change the lives of others. So I really wanted to start taking our mission and kind of just making these two pieces work cohesively together. So in April of this year, um, again, because of the generosity of so many amazing supporters, we were able to purchase 62 acres of land and we're able to now bring our program of helping at-risk kids to the farm in addition to raising Um, funds to actually build barns for large animals, horses, cows, pigs, all sorts of animals, and then have a new state-of-the-art facility that's going to help at least 200% more animals than we already currently do. So that's Animal Friends Sanctuary, and that's something that is 
physically happening right now as we are are, are doing this uh, new mission and expanded vision. Oh, that's incredible! First of all, congrats, and second of all, thank you. Like, come on, animals and kids, you're 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 an angel. So, you've this is now your main gig, obviously, and you've got this concept that you call a volunteer CEO. And I really want everybody out there to understand what you're really doing here. We hear about charities all the time and you know, what percentage of the charity uh, of the money that runs through it really gets paid out to the CEO and other officers and are they making too much money? And you know, it's always up for debate. Well, your mm-hmm. concept of a volunteer CEO means that you're running this thing for zero pay. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. And it is only because of the success that I've had in other endeavors that would even give me the time and the wherewithal to do it. If it wasn't for doing what has been done over the past 17 years and building those networks and, and, and the learning experience of just interacting with people and how to be even, you know, live in gratitude and being appreciative to all these people that would never happen. So, so yes, I do operate as C- as volunteer CEO of Animal Friends Sanctuary, and I do it 100% for free. Um, I don't get paid a dime, a wage, a compensation, and neither does our board. Our board works super hard um, at making sure that all of the vision is cast out and we continue to ne- be connected within our communities. And um, all of the funds that we raise go to the animals, go to the programs to help kids, go to Um, everything that our mission is surrounding. We only have three paid staff, if you can imagine that, and I am super proud of that. And that is only because we have an army of volunteers and contributors that support us, um, not only with their time, but with their finances, uh, that we're able to really have all of those donations go to help what everybody wants them to help. Nobody wants to pay a you know, $4 million salary to the CEO. So to me, to be able to do that and run our events and actually have boots on the ground, not only does it completely fill me up, but in, in my opinion, it's, it's why I'm here. I love that you painted the obvious, and that is without first succeeding and being unapologetic about it and chasing your dreams and doing the hard work and becoming wealthy, you wouldn't have been able to do this. And I want to clarify, you've donated over 25,000 hours as a CEO to this charity. Am I right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, yes. let's be honest with your skill sets. That could be some serious salary. That could be millions of dollars if you chose to take that type of money. Right, right. And it, and it could have been in my own businesses. I mean, I could have had four, five, six nationwide. Um, and believe me, there was a moment where I kind of thought, oh, well, this is what I could do because I did it here and I did it in the most difficult area. So why not go and do it in more metropolitan and, and um, you know, better demographic areas? But it wasn't where my heart was. And so to me, it was just listening to that voice. It always tends to serve us well when we really listen to that inner guidance that we all have. And yeah, I would not have been able to do what I did without all of that. I mean, I wouldn't even have the skill set. I don't have some I don't have any college degree. I mean, I'm not some big fancy educated person that would even know how to do that, but it was all developed through life lessons and skills that really the business world gave me. And now I'm able to bring it to the nonprofit world and just help thousands of animals and kids and and just people in general. I mean, I know how much joy and love that waffles brings to you and Lori. (laughs) So we're, we're doing that with families all over the place, just the love and the joy and the compassion that animals can bring and heal, um, not only adults, but kids as well. I love you for it. So let's talk about money just a little bit, because that's, you know, what ties into this. 
Tell me about how the 15-year-old version of you viewed people with money and how the successful adult version of you now views people with money. Hmm. I was raised that people with money were greedy, um, that they were selfish, um, that they were egotistical, um, and that they were, some of them were even bad. And that was pre 15 year old cassette tapes from Tony Robbins. <laughs> um, the way I, I view, I, I see so many people now standing in this place. I mean, that are just so incredibly generous and have such big hearts and they might not be the one to start the organization. They might not want or have the time to, to give in, of their time. But when we need money or when we need something, when we need to fix a barn or when we need to start our horse barn, these people are opening up their hearts and their pocketbooks and they are making things happen. And I am so immensely grateful for all of the people that give their time and then all of our supporters that truly give their money. And if it wasn't for money, I can tell you, our organization would not exist. It, it couldn't possibly exist. So in my opinion, like I said to you before, money can do amazing things and have such a massive impact in the world. So one of the things we do here is we aim to inspire people to be bigger givers or, or to give more often than they have or you know come up with a creative way to give. So we do that by having a little bit of fun and we call it two minutes of bragging. So what is one of your favorite moments ever of giving? Oh, hmm. hmm, let me think. I mean, obviously the one that comes to mind is, uh, is giving that building to the organization. That was something that I thought, wow, like to be able to give that, um, I was super proud of that. Um, I also, I, I've had moments where it could be the small, the small things of, you know, a guy, a gentleman was checking out in front of me at, you know, the local grocery store and he just spoke to my heart and I just walked up and just you know, paid for his whole grocery bill just with my credit card. And he had no idea. And he was so confused and it was so cute, but it was just such a wonderful thing to do um, or to clean out um, my closet. Uh, there was a, a woman that was in an abusive situation and I was made aware of it and she had to quickly leave and had nothing. And I literally went through my entire closet, all of the household stuffs in the kitchen and literally took her an entire place of things to get ready. Um, and being able to do that without even thinking, you know, being able to pick up someone's groceries or pick up dinners constantly, all of that stuff is just, it's wonderful to be able to do. And if you don't ever get to that point in your life, you're never going to be able to experience it. So I would encourage people, you know, it's, it's not the pursuit of money isn't evil. If you have good intentions, if you are evil, then yes, it is going to do evil things. That's just the way that it works. But for those people that have good hearts and really want to contribute to the world in a big way, it's really going to get you there faster. Oh my God. I totally agree. So what's next for you? I mean, listen, you seem to have this magic intuition that talks to you. What's the next big thing you're going to do? <laughs> Um, I am in the process of writing a book um, because I really want to be able to inspire others to give back, to give, to grow, contribute, um, and, and to just kind of make sure that people are aware of their purpose and that we're not just supposed to live in survival mode. We're not just supposed to go day to day without fulfillment. And so I'm kind of writing a book about that and a little bit about kind of my story and 
um, hopefully to inspire others to take that first scary step, whatever that might be for them in the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. I really want to reach out also to schools, kids. I want to get in front of, um, you know, large groups of kids and be able to help provide mass healing for kids that have suffered, um, either neglect or abuse and abandonment in some way. Uh, so those are two big things. And obviously bringing the sanctuary to a larger stage so that we can help more animals and um, provide more healing and spread more compassion around the world. Um, so those are kind of the, the top things right now. I love it. So everybody that either wants to get on a list for your book coming out or they want some of your greatness or, you know, they want to help you by connecting you to the schools that need to be spoken at and all this stuff that you're talking about, where can they find you? So I have a new website that we're just kind of finishing and it's volunteerceo.com. They can also find on Instagram and Facebook at volunteerceo. Um, and then, of course, the sanctuary specifically is animalfriendssanctuary.org. But there's also a link on my website, volunteerceo.com, that will link them over there as well. I love it. And the last question I ask everybody, I get all sorts of answers, is why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? Wow. Um, such a great question. I think that I've probably covered it, so it might be redundant, but I truly believe that, that we're here to give, to grow, to contribute. That is why we are here on earth. And I believe that each one of us has a gift that only we can bring to this world. And when you have more money to give and you're a, a good person, you can just do such amazing things and have such a massive impact in the world. And to me, I think that alone is all the reason someone needs to go out and be successful. Totally. We are not here to struggle. We're here to share our gifts, aren't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it takes us to get out of that struggle to be able to acknowledge what our gifts are, right? I mean, I know I, I've struggled. I know what that's like. You sometimes have to get out of that in order to see this is my gift. This is what I can bring to the world. And it's a magical, magical thing when you can do that. I couldn't agree more. And you brought us all a gift today. Thank you for all your answers, your information, your story, your inspiration. Like everything that you dropped on us today is going to make a huge difference in so many lives out there. So thank you so much, Candy. Thank you, Chris. The pleasure was, was all mine. And thank you for your kindness and for what you're spreading in the world. It is truly making a difference. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.